Hi, you're listening to an older episode. The podcast is now called Travel Writing World. You can find the episode show notes and much more at travelwritingworld.com. This is Jeremy Bassetti, and you're listening to All Over the Place, a podcast on travel, culture, and the creative life. This episode takes us to New York, where I speak with Catherine Parker Magyar about writing and her philosophy on travel. Katie writes for publications like Architectural Digest, Forbes, The Week, Business Insider, and The Daily Beast, to name a few. Without further ado, I bring you Catherine Parker Magyar. Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So in the introduction when we were talking, you said that you were sick from traveling. Um, Where did you just come from? Um, I was in the Caribbean for about like three and a half weeks. It feels like I was in the Caribbean for all of January, but I really wanted to visit different countries and islands and get a sense of like different cultures in each place. And also, you know, there was a lot of coverage right after a couple of the really devastating hurricanes a few years ago, but then there's been less recently. And as a result, some like tourism hasn't fully returned to some places. So I wanted to get a better sense of that whole part of the world and it doesn't hurt that it's absolute paradise and people are so nice and mm. but I was sick while I was there but like I was in the tropics so it was a little bit contained then I came home and was like oh my god but just like I think I just have a cold I think I'm, I'm fine <laughs> so you went there uh, on assignment to to do some articles or was it just a leisure I know it's for work so I started in Breckenridge which was funny to go from like the mountains and then I went right to the Florida Keys Mm. And then from the Florida Keys, I did the Bahamas, Turks and Caicos, Puerto Rico, Dominica, and Barbados. And I'm working on stories about each place that I went to. Like, you know, I always, as a writer, I always make sure that I have like multiple story angles from each place that I go. And also, I guess I've been like, traveling professionally. I'm a little under a year now, which is crazy because I feel like I feel like it happens so quickly. Um, that you definitely get like a better sense of what your interests are. Like for example, a lot of writers love to write about food. I don't really care as much about food or like, you know, wellness isn't really my thing. I'm more interested in like like the local culture. For me, true wellness is feeling like you're able. To, I feel the most centered or the most appreciative and grateful, which I feel like people attempt to get with wellness when I'm in an experience that's like totally alien from my own lived one. And, you know, making genuine connections with people all over the world, I'd say, is my mm. the biggest reward from, it had been my biggest reward traveling personally. So, like, I have a personality where I can make friends pretty quickly. And then it's just been amplified traveling professionally. And then you get to meet so many interesting types of people and figuring out ways to sort of capture the essence of a place. And also for people who are maybe a little bit more introverted mm-hmm. or self-conscious like how they can have those experiences too if it's not something that happens that they can naturally find like specific places to go I will also have become like a de facto travel agent unpaid 
a lot of my friends, you know, they're like, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to Kenya. What, what should I do? And like, next thing you know, I'm spending like two hours telling them like, and then find this person and find that person. But yeah, like I said, like this is always something I love to do on my own. And it's nice that it's turned into a career. Right. Sounds like uh, with the friends and occupational hazard <laughs> there, yeah, I can avoid. Yeah, that's interesting what you say about the, um, the, the idea that, you know, people travel for wellness or to seek these travel retreats for the sake of wellness, whereas, you know, travel in and of itself can be invigorating or reinvigorating or, you know, have that element of wellness without spending time in a spa necessarily. Yeah. And I have to say, and this is like a larger thing, I do think that the wellness industry in general, and I mean, I live for Gwyneth Paltrow. So, I mean, (laughs) I like her a lot as a as like a celebrity as a person. But I do think that it, it puts a lot of pressure on women. Like now we also have to be like, not only fulfilled in our career, relationships, et cetera, we have to like have inner peace, which I think is the sort of an elusive goal in the first place. And I also think that there is a huge benefit to getting out of one's head. Like as someone, as a writer, who's by definition, like I live in my own head. What I really love about travel is that you get a sense of your own place in the world and that place is really small, you know, and that can be scary and humbling. Like I remember I was, I was on the Great Wall of China in the fall and that was something I'd always wanted to do and it was on my bucket list. And I was there and it was unbelievable and like it lived up to what I thought it would be. But what I cried, like I didn't expect, you know, I had a sense of just, you know, how vast the world is and like this idea of, I mean, China, everything is the sense of time, I feel like, is like present, you know, the history of it is so much longer than our own. And there's so much respect and worship for the past that you sort of get a sense of your own insignificance. And that isn't the worst thing in the world at all. Because I think it builds more empathy towards other people and equips you with a little bit more of a level head just to like survive your own day-to-day life. Mm. Yeah, travel is uh, just as much about exploring the inner workings of the mind as it is to, you know, see a new culture or visit a new place. Seneca, the philosopher, is writing to a friend who I guess is in the dumps and he cites a a story from somewhere that he read of of Socrates giving some advice to a wary traveler. And the traveler is like, well, how come I'm, you know, I travel because I'm depressed or I travel because I'm trying to kind of, you know, sort out these inner demons that I have, but travel doesn't help that out. And the quip was, and Socrates kind of responded saying, well, because you're traveling with yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's that's what like wherever you go, there you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I and you know, and I agree with that. But then I do also think that there's something about travel that you know, poor weary traveler. Because like I've definitely felt like that at points. Like even this past month, like because it, it can be sort of lonely. But at the end of the day, I feel like you're reverted to almost a childlike state where if you like open your eyes to where you are, like you're constantly confronted with new experiences and new people. And like, it builds, it's almost, it builds a sense of wonder mm-hmm. that you don't get day in and day out. And I think it's also, so I just watched this Bill Murray documentary. It's like the stories of Bill Murray and they just went through his whole spiel. But one of my favorite lines of his is like, I try to be available for life to happen to me. Mm. And I think that there are, I think that there are lessons you learn traveling where, you know, when I arrived in Barbados, I didn't know anyone in Barbados. Like I left and like made a ton of good friends. And I think part of the reason that I did is because, you know, you can always choose to take the easy way out. And sometimes the easy way out is just not to engage, you know, like you have like a pleasant conversation and you don't go further or, you know, you're kind of tired. Maybe you'll just go back to your like beautiful hotel room and just like maybe take a bath and go to bed early. Like 
but it's deciding like I'm going to go to the fish fry and then I'm going to go to a locals only place for karaoke and then I'm going to do this and just sort of saying yes. And also I found that people really are open to sharing their story with you. If you are open sharing your story with them, like if you can, if you can approach people from sort of a self deprecating place, um, you know, and immediately disarm people, then you can have some really profound conversations and moments with other strangers you know that you're going to remember the rest of your life that, you know, are just so rare. And I think that, well, actually, you know, traveling lives made me think that they're not rare. I think to quote the New York Times travel writer, she went to like, I loved her as she in her like sort of final essay for the New York Times. She says, you know, people always ask me like what I've learned. And I always say, you know, I've learned that people are fundamentally good. I think I have a hundred percent found that in my trips and particularly mm-hmm. now with, the age of Donald Trump and travel. it's very interesting to travel as an American right now. It's different than it used to be because, you know, it used to be, oh, like I've always wanted to come to New York or I want to live in New York. It's been, you know, my experience particularly in like this in places where people would traditionally, you know, it's close enough like this, like Central America and the Caribbean. It's changed. You know, New York isn't this, New York isn't necessarily like America isn't necessarily this like beacon of sort of tolerance and acceptance anymore. And so, it's almost like when you go and you're traveling as an American, I feel like, you know, politics does come up, but it's also more glaring to me, like the reception that I get in these other countries. And I realize how privileged I am to be traveling as a white woman. Mm-hmm. And then I think about the people who are hosting me and the experiences that they've had, that they've told me about, you know, when they land in, in both these experiences were in the South, like Louisiana and Tennessee and the way that they were treated. And it's just, it makes you think a lot about, I don't know. It's just very depressing. Yeah, you know, and so I lead study abroad trips every year and I take young students uh, abroad typically for the first time in their lives. And, you know, I see a lot of this, unfortunately, that, you know, the experience of travel for new travelers is one that's, I don't know, unilateral. It's one that's, I don't know, selfie culture, right? <laughs> Look at me where I am, where I've where have I been. Uh, it's all about the individual. But what they sometimes fail to notice or understand is that travel is very much about that cultural exchange that you mentioned there, going to the fish fry and not just going to be seen, but to, to engage and to put yourself out there and open mm-hmm. yourself up and, you know, to have those kind of real conversations and experiences for better or worse. And yeah, and that's, I think travel is ultimately other people. And I think that that is, that's the difference between, you know, reading a a story, a travel feature that makes you want to keep reading or it doesn't. Because I think at the end of the day, you're not going to be super interested in like the 10 best pubs in Galway, but you might, but you will be interested in like the story, you know? Yes. The story. And I think that that on a professional level, for me, at least I found that, you know, I was saying people like food, people like, um, wellness or wine or luxury. I really do think that it's finding those human stories and, connecting and I think it's also people can be really pretentious about travel and Mm -hmm. you know I think that particularly the way I guess that there was a study recently where about um, people talked about like what motivates millennials to travel and obviously Instagram was one of the things but then the other two things were urban that people are more likely to do urban travel like they don't want to just do a beach and cultural immersion and both those things are people like there is this desire now I think travel to be a little bit more democratic in a way because 
at the end of the day, like if you're if you're traveling and you view it as something that makes you better than someone else, then you've missed the entire point of traveling, which is that fundamentally you aren't better than anyone else, you know, and that right. there are different there's value and meaning to every single way of life. And well, I wouldn't say obviously there's some there's some cultures and there's some governments, but I mean, particularly nowadays, just because you're in a place where, like, you don't agree with the government doesn't mean the people that are living underneath that government. I think that, like, we can experience this, like, for some of us, a lot of us as Americans, doesn't reflect on them as people. And, you know, there's this Mark Twain quote that, like, I always go back to when I think about travel. And, you know, travel is fatal for hatred, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. Like, you can't expect mankind to develop, like, a charitable viewpoint of the world if he spends his whole life in one little corner of it. And I agree with that. And I do think there's like an element of privilege that comes into play with being able to, ex- being able to travel, particularly in America, because if you're in, if you want to go from England to France, it's like going from New York to Connecticut. But, you know, we are sort of isolated and huge. And a lot of people don't get that experience to witness different cultures or get out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I thought I was well-traveled until I mean, I've been in the Middle East, but I spent some time, like a decent amount of time in Jordan and Palestine. My sister was living in Jordan. And you're not even aware of like subconscious things until you like are sort of faced with them. Like when I heard the call to prayer every morning, Mm. I was nervous at the beginning of the trip. And I realized it was because I'd only heard the call to prayer on homeland to signify a terrorist (laughs) attack. Right. You know, and then the last morning of the trip, we were in Jerusalem and I heard the call to prayer and it was like calming to me. And I was thinking about just how much you know, how much people, if they don't have exposure, I don't know. I guess for me, I, I go back and forth because I do think that I think that a lot of hatred is born out of ignorance, but I also think that there are a couple ways to look at yourself as a person in this life. And I think sometimes people like to define their, obviously their superiority against other people, like, well, they're bad and they're bad and I'm good because of this because I'm different from them. When, you know, the reality is much more complicated. Right. Yeah, I know. I, I, I share, shared that experience that you had. Um, I was in Morocco and I just wasn't in tune to this and I wasn't expecting it. And I, I was you know, literally startled awake at the call of prayer. It mm-hmm. was literally jostling, right? But after a few days, it became it, it became nice. You have to examine your own viewpoints. And that was so interesting. I'm actually going to Morocco next week, which I'm really excited about. I've never been. But Ooh. When people ask me about my trip to Jordan, this I didn't go. I went just like in my personal life years ago. Like the number one thing that I'll say to people and that people are surprised by, but you know, a lot of people who have traveled aren't, is like, you know, the Arabic hospitality and how kind people are. Right. Like you can't compliment a picture on the wall that's happened at lunch with like a Palestinian family. They will try to ship it to you in the United States. Like there is such a warmth and like this and a generosity. I walked into a CBD store and the owner, I guess, knew my, I guess he knew my sister, but he was like, what are your favorite movies? And I was like, Legends of Fall, Gone with the Wind, River and Spirit. And he's like, oh, you love sweeping American dramas. He gave me like 20 DVDs, all of them with Arabic subtitles. And I was like, I don't need 20. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, how and then I was like realizing that he wasn't going to like take them back. So I was like, okay, how much is it? And he was like, please keep that on. It's a gift to you. Like, Stuff. He's like, this is the Rose of Jordan, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, just like, I encountered that everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, like people are just, there's more of a culture. My sister told me coming, leaving New York, she's like, there's like a culture of recognition here. Like when you pass them on the street, you look at them. 
which like in New York, it's almost like the ultimate courtesy to not look at them because it's so crowded. But yeah, there is this sort of welcoming environment. And I mean, I have light blonde hair and I'm sure I stand out and I never at one moment felt unsafe and actually like planned an itinerary for a good friend of mine who's also a blonde and she went to Jordan by herself and had a wonderful time. And I do think that there's this fear and this, just a lack of a, a lack of knowledge um, that makes people hesitant. This is touching on some of the themes here. What do you think the internet or Instagram have done to not just travel, but also the idea of travel writing, right? So both travel and travel writing. A lot. So I think that one good thing, a very good thing that Instagram has done for travel is that it's drawn exposure. It's these beautiful places in the world that a lot of people wouldn't have thought to go to. So, you know, you can be scrolling through your phone and then you're going to see a picture of Mongolia. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Be like, Oh my God, like, why? Like, that's because I think that there's also, and I've just found this as a travel writer, like, I will ask pretty basic questions that, like, maybe other people want to ask, but nobody knows the answer to. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure that for a lot of Americans, they can even picture, like, what does Mongolia look like? Do you know what I mean? And, so, and what's amazing about, and probably people listen to this will be like, that sounds dumb, but it's, it's true. Like, it may, it brings places to life, I think, quickly. Um, I think that what it's done for travel writing, um, I'm going to get in trouble with these answers probably, but <laughs> so there's, um, you know, I guess I started out my career as a reporter and then I got like my bachelor's degree in English. And then, you know, I worked in advertising. So I graduated during the recession and everyone's like, that's a great job. That's a great job. And it was like such a cliche dying inside. And then I went to new school and I got my master's degree in literature. So like, and I never really had a blog, even though everyone was like, you should have a blog. But for some reason, like, Maybe I'm just an epic procrastinator. Like, I need a deadline. And, like, I after years and years of writing, and it taught me a lot, but, like, you know, writing about, like, I don't know, the transcendental homelessness in David Foster Wallace novels that, like, not a ton of people want to read. Like, maybe if you're an English major or you're an academic, you're interested, but not the average person. Like, I got a little defeated by writing without an audience, you know? Mm -hmm. So everything I've ever done has been, you know, fact-checking and what's the hook and like, why would someone want to read this? Like everyone in my family is a, is a writer. And my first boss, like was technically my, you know, my mother, she'd be like, well, why would someone, you know, and she really drilled it to my head, like capture the audience. What are the main points? Why? And why would you care? And so for travel writing, I feel like I still sort of approach it like a reporter, like I want to get quotes. What's the hook? Mm -hmm. Why do people want to read it? Versus for travel bloggers, you know, in some ways I'm extremely jealous of bloggers and influencers because I have more freedom in a way than a writer does, you know, who's on assignment. And like for an influencer, granted, there's a lot that goes into content creation, but I would argue that like you can, oh, there's a lot that goes into do writing like a story about like a trip, about a trip to like, I don't know, China and how, and like what, like you have to go into history, you have to go into you know, into the politics to describe where you are, that sort of, you have to be more present for that, to write that story. And you also, it requires a lot of emotional energy, particularly if you care about it. Like whenever I go back from a trip, like I sort of feel like an obligation to like convey, you know, that what was so important about where I was or that sometimes I find, I guess, in bloggers is that they can sometimes write things that aren't true mm. and they don't have an editor and they're not purporting to be journalist like facts 
But that drives me absolutely nuts. You know what I mean? Because it's just like, I think that I was Googling why to go to Dominica. And I read like the Connie Nass Traveler story. And then I read another story. I was deep in it. And then I, you know, just like, it became very subjective. And then I sort of, you know, sort of researched and, and some of the things she said weren't true. And I realized I'd been reading her blog. And it's all well and good. Like there's some blogs that are super, but it's like the death of journalism. It's like that Washington Post. It's like there is a reason that people should be getting paid to report on stories from the world and keep the public informed. I sound like an 80 year old. But you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I think that, and I think with travel, that's especially important. And I think, I think that with influence, influencers, for me because I like I have an I have a social media presence um and it's great for my career if I have people who are like following my travels and they'll follow my writing but like the amount of the amount of narcissism that goes into being an Instagram influencer is just so at odds with like the type of travel I believe in that it's like sort of alarming to look at because you look at Instagram feed and you're like oh my god like they're in Tanzania they're at this, and then you find out, you know, they've spent the entire afternoon doing a quote-unquote photo shoot, though they're not models, at that resort, not going to the local village, not not really engaging. You know, it's very, it's very navel-gazing in a way. And mm-hmm. I think that there are some people, I've met some amazing people who are influencers, but then I've more often than not met people who are, as influencers, I just don't relate to professionally versus whenever I'm with another writer, it's what we're on the same page. Like, we want... We want to know, we, we ask a lot of questions. Like we want to know the history. Like right. we're more, we're more curious. Yeah. So, okay. but I think that everything is good for the travel industry. Like anything that gets people to travel, I think is wonderful. Um, but I think that there's this whole thing around travel, as we said, like signifying like intelligence, but also signifying sort of this like privilege and sort of being like a potential thirst trap in various beaches, like, you know, around the world. And, that can be a turnoff for me, but I think that countries and people are in hotels are figuring out what the balance is, you know, like are the people who are following, are they going to book the hotel room from this picture or stuff when you have to use different, different approaches and certainly depending on the type of person, different things are going to resonate more than others. Right. I guess there's a few things here to unpack in terms of, you know, writing and blogging and you know, at risk of sounding elite. I agree with you in, in that the profession of being a journalist is quite a different thing from a blogger. For me, my favorite types of stories to read, you know, are never, it's never like seven reasons why you should go to Barbados. The listicle. <laughs> you know, but I do have to say as a travel writer, if they're done well, I'm like, they take, like I did the most like undiscovered nations of the Caribbean and that took me so long. And, like, they can be really well done, you know, mm-hmm. I think, in general. But if it's particularly, like, sometimes, unless it's a broader sort of roundup where it's like, okay, what are the best foodie cities? There's this one. As someone who's deciding these things, I do think it's funny. Like, there's probably, not to diminish my own credibility, but I just story on, like, the most beautiful place in nature around the world. And it's like, you almost spend longer on those because you're like, how am I qualified, really? But a good story, like, that I like to that I like to read is, like, and my friend, he did a story on taking this remote train through Western Australia. And like, I want to know what that, like, what that was like. Like my favorite story that I wrote recently was like my trip to Kenya. And like, just, and it's so, it's so cheesy to be like, you know, I learned something about myself. Like, I think that really great travel writing can bring in that sort of visceral humor and excitement of blogging and take it into a more journalistic 
and, and, and make it accountable, I guess, is what I'd say. And put in a little bit more context. Or I think that I think that sometimes travel writers almost shy away a lot from the first person narrative because A, it can be harder to write. And then B, you know, there's this feeling that if it's first person it's somehow less, it can be less sort of I guess like I don't know, detached or professional, but I found like just as a reader, like those are the type of stories that I want to read about. Mm-hmm. I wrote a story about Tunisia and like there was this one city in Tunisia, City Buffet, that like literally it looks like it's so beautiful, it's blue and white. And so I had this story angle. I was like, you know, forget Santorini, like check out the fun Tunisia. And I finally got a place after like a year, which is so funny because I was like, oh, this will take immediately. And then when I wrote it, I wrote it through like sort of the framework of like what led me to Tunisia, which was like a breakup at the time. And my dad literally said to me like, oh, I think a mental health trip to North Africa would be good for you. <laughs> so like that is how I framed the whole thing into it. And then it got like picked up, particularly like in the Maghreb, like by the, by, um, the economist there, the diplomat, Huffington Post. I was interviewed about it and like people really love the story. Like particularly Tunisian people really loved the story. Because, you know, it's like spotlighting an area that is really beautiful and has its history and doesn't get as much attention. But I do think that part of the reason that this story resonated so much is that it did have sort of a personal hook to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, And I think at the end of the day, like, for me, like, travel is really about self-discovery, I guess. Discovery and self-discovery. Like, I think that you never come back from a place the same way. And the same way that you went to it, which can be scary if you're a professional writer, travel writer, you're like times can definitely feel like a nomad in a way but I don't know I think that I think that if you are willing to put yourself in other people's shoes and sort of I don't know because there's a study that says that some people if you're annoying it can actually be chemical like if you put someone if you make someone ill at ease it can actually be a genetic thing about you which is pretty which is a bummer but like I do think people can do can do a lot of small things deliberately that's going to make their experience when they travel better like to be curious kind and vulnerable like if you're those three things and like people really can't help but be the same way back to you like well, I think I, the energy you give is energy you get so, right and but how how does one do that in, in practical terms right to be vulnerable how does one practically you know okay, make, make themselves you vulnerable mm-hmm. so you have to make fun of yourself I feel like it's like a secret to life to make fun of yourself that like people don't recognize that it's just it makes people I guess my sense of humor has always been self-deprecating like we were when I was in the Masai Mara like our, my first day on safari I was able to ride in the front of the jeep and like I I don't know I made some joke about myself like losing my notebook and like being a mess and then like he laughed at Kata laughed at me and then he made a comment about himself and I was just you know asking her in questions don't be pretentious and be really really nice like don't get frustrated if the service is slow. Don't get frustrated if you're getting stopped at security for a second time. Don't get super frustrated if I get canceled. Like it's traveling, things are going to go wrong. You know what I mean? Like just try to be as nice as possible to everyone. And if you treat people like you expect them to be kind to you, I find they will be kind to you. Like I've been around people who've been travelers who've been distrustful of the locals in the country that we're in. And the way that she would interact with them. And the way they would treat her and the way they would treat me was just markedly different because I think that, I think that at the end, if, if you, if you treat someone like they're going to like swindle you, then they're going to be, then they're going to resent them. Be, I honestly think all the more likely to swindle you. Hmm. So yeah, just ask questions and don't be pretentious is a huge thing. Like, I mean, 
you see it. I would say you see it in every industry. But, you know, just being like, oh, I've been there before. I'm used to even nicer hotels or, oh, this is like my eighth time in Peru. Nobody cares for that. Like if people respond to enthusiasm. Like if you're if you're somewhere new and you think it's just like the most beautiful city you've ever seen, express that. People are happy to hear that. Like just, you know, be positive. Mm. And I think that it's like, I think people can be like insecure, or like, you know, guarded. And so as a result, they feel that they need to put on airs in a way. So it's like when we, I was, when I was in Paris recently and a friend, and like, I don't know, it was like a friend of a friend was like trying to be snobbier than the Parisians, but her French was broken. It's like, you're not going to outwin this battle. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Just like, let it. Yeah. I don't know. I think that, I think that by trying to be as authentic as possible, and I do think it comes down to just, and yeah, and if you ask people a lot of questions, people want to talk about themselves. Like maybe, you know, I don't know. Cause like, I feel like a lot of the quotes I got are in like a regular conversation I have with someone, you know, that I'm like trying to like, where do you live? Or like, what do you like to do? How long have you been tracking rhinos? Like, what's the rhinos mean? What's this? People want to talk to you. And people I've, I've discovered when you're traveling, particularly when you're in a place that's far from home, they're just as curious about you as you are about them. Right. You know, like I don't really want to talk about dating, but this man who like lives in Nanyuki in, in Kenya and like totally different experiences, totally different cultures, but like we could like bond over that. You know, like there are certain like universal experiences people go through. And I think people are interested to see how like, you know, it's just a little bit of a different path in each part of the world, but sort of the same thing. Right. This idea of cosmopolitanism, right? Uh, citizens of the world, right? we all have the same kind of experience or the same moral landscape, more or less, uh, as other people in the world have. And travel is the ultimate kind of unifier in that respect, according to some. Yeah, I think it can also, like we talked about traveling in the Middle East being, or in the Arabic countries being so eye-opening. I think it does make you realize that it just removes like the sense of otherness from the equation that, I mean, growing up, my family mm-hmm. traveled a lot and, you know, now I have friends who have kids and they're like, oh, like, I'm not going to take them to Europe until they're 12 so they can appreciate it. I'm like, no, you sort of have to teach your kids what to appreciate. Like, I remember growing up, like we were driving across country and I was like, you know, are we there yet? And it's, my mom was like, you are going to fall asleep. You're going to wake up. You're going to fall asleep again. And like, we still won't be there. Like teaching kids, like appreciate the journey and like, I don't know, showing them to care about things. I think that like growing up, like I was always super curious because I was, you know, I would daydream of just a random beach vacation. I was like, I just want to go to the beach and chill. Like, I don't want to go to Serbia, Bosnia, Bulgaria. But then we did. And I'm happy because now that's also like what I'm interested in doing. And I also, one of my biggest things as a writer is like this notion that you need to go to Europe for culture like there isn't culture in like the Caribbean, like, you know, there's not as much culture in Hawaii and it's just such like a colonizer perspective and like sort of like subtle, it's, it's racist and like sort of highlighting that and that sometimes people don't acknowledge that there's culture there. Like they don't engage with the culture there because sometimes particularly in the Caribbean, there is like a history of slavery and like there are like things that you have to grapple with, you know, as like a citizen who's like visiting that people shouldn't shy away, shy away from being curious and having like real conversations and, it's just like a ridiculous thing to think that Vienna is the only place in the world where you can experience like art. You know what I mean? Right, right. So you said that you traveled quite a bit when you were young. Is that is that true? Yes. Yeah. And so your folks lugged you around the world with them and exposed mm-hmm. you to uh, to the world. Do you do you remember any of those early experiences? Oh my God, yes. So 
I mean, the first one I don't remember, but my parents took me to Alaska when I was like 15 months old. And I was referred to as bear meat. Apparently I had some sort of meltdown <laughs> in the concert. And like, I don't know. I I don't know. Yeah, there are funny stories for me that I don't remember those as well. Um, I would say, oh my God, this is such a cheesy story to tell, but um, I was in Glacier National Park, I think it was. And we spent a lot of time going like out west, like to the American West, the Rocky Mountains, like, you know, Wyoming, Montana, Colorado. It's wonderful. Funny because it's beautiful. And I mean, a lot of people from the East Coast who like have never been, you know, but they've been to the Alps. And it's like, there's so much, it's actually a story I'm writing right now about having been to all 50 states, like sort of what I've learned, et cetera. But it was freezing cold. You know, it was like June and we, we were, it was freezing and we were by a glacier lake. And my mom, like literally just like strips off her fleece, jumps in the water and is like, Kate, are you coming in? And I was like, I'm so cold. And she was like, don't, you don't want to be the girl who doesn't jump in the water. So I jump in the water not mine stays with me all the time now because I'm like I have to be like the first one I have to try to do everything and I'm like lying and we're floating in this lake it's so serene and just these mountains around us on either side and like my mom who like I worship definitely is like high energy can be can be a little high strung as can I but she's so calm and then this hawk flies above us and I feel like most, honestly, middle-aged white men, white women, she has a thing with birds, but so the hawk goes above and she just says, you know, it's moments like these, you can believe that, you know, God could exist. And I always think about that because she just like found her bliss, like in that moment. And I understood what she was feeling, this sense of wonder and like this, you know, things, I think that we travel to see that things are bigger than ourselves. So I think about that a lot. And I mean... I feel like the West stands out for me a ton because I've done a lot of Southwest travel and I'm like, I didn't love the deserts as a kid, but now I really appreciate them particularly because like the artwork that comes out of them. But uh, other, tra- oh, other travel moments, like being, I guess this is still kind of like growing up, but like, you know, I was like detained or not detained, but like I was held at like the Jordan-Palestine border because I'd gotten a sword engraved. And my dad had gotten a machete and my dad slipped through and I had, I was searched and like brought to this glass castle and it was like a glass building. My parents were like very unworried about me. It's like, okay. And this man is like sitting by the desk in like, you know, military uniform with 20 other people in the room. And he's like, and she's like, sorry, like miss is carrying a weapon. The unsheathed it. He's like, John, who is John? Because it's like John in Arabic. And I was like, John is my boyfriend. And he was like, oh, John is a lucky man. And like, gave it back to us. <laughs> and like, I was like, weren't you worried at all? And he's like, no. Um, one time he left my brother at a gas station um, for like 30 minutes somewhere in Kansas. Um, I guess the heartland stands out to me the most in those trips. Because in America, like, it's humongous. And like, the sky is so big. Like, you drive across the country. Like, and then one time... We were driving, driving, and then, like, this crazy tornado started to brew, and it was, like, in the distance. Mm. Obviously, we drove towards it. <laughs> and then this, like, freight train was in front of us, and it was, like, this 30, really long freight train, like, being so much noise and the tornado, and it just was, like, it could have been, like, I don't know, the 1990s or the 1940s, and it wouldn't have been any different. I don't know. I think it's interesting to see how landscape impacts, like, people's personalities and like the way that people live like mm-hmm. it's amazing we, we form 
we operate as one country when we have so many different parts of our country that like need different things and like the people there require different things to survive. So, right. so, that. so you're a young traveler. Did you study abroad at all after or during university? Um, I studied abroad in London when I was in college and then I lived abroad in Japan, like for half of the summer when I was in high school, which was amazing too, um, in Osaka. Is that when you you learned or kind of discovered that you wanted to forge a career that included travel and writing, or is that something that came later? So being a travel writer to me was always like being, I don't know, like like a rock star I was like I didn't understand how people became travel writers and like because when I also I always wanted to be a writer I always wanted to be a writer like first and foremost and you know I get a lot of people now who do approach me like I like dream job I want to do the same thing and it's like you sort of have to want to be a writer first because that's what your actual job is and like travel came to me via writing so I was writing freelance writing like I quit my job and was like, I'm just going to be a writer, which is insane in retrospect. But I sort of like, I'd worked in advertising for like all of my twenties. I turned 30 and I was like, if I'm not going to try to do this now, but I don't know when I'm ever going to do it. And like when I was at the new school, you know, I met people who were like, I am a philosopher of Greek antiquity. And it's like, okay, if you're a philosopher of Greek antiquity, like I can be a writer. You know what I mean? Like I was, it was very inspiring to be around so many like young creative people from around the world who were just like, going after their dreams and it made me wonder why I wasn't and I feel like the things that were important to me in my 20s which still honestly are like seeing my friends a good cocktail traveling whatever you know that was sort of what kept me on the straight and narrow with my corporate career and until I realized like I wouldn't really ever be happy unless I really was doing what I'm doing now which is writing so I tried to do travel writing from the beginning because I knew I had all these amazing stories and like travel is great because you can do you can write about travel and relationships you can write about politics you can write about you can write about a ton of different things and it's never the same versus like in other you know writing genres you know it can I just think travel for me it's the most interesting but it was really hard to break into because you know there are a lot of people who want to be travel writers and you know there's always going to be someone like oh like here's like my travel guide to Palestine okay like they have to who's been living in Palestine for five years so it's sort of like one of the things that's harder to break into. So I did a lot of like culture writing, like I wrote about like books a lot and like, you know, culture, dating, um, politics, a lot of politics, which mm-hmm. like I'm sort of happy I'm not doing as much now because it's like sort of soul killing right now. And then, um, I don't know, I got just, I sort of got, um, discovered, I guess, by people, by like people in the travel industry and then was connected with like other editors and writers and um, got my first like sort of recurring assignment, which was for Britain Co. Um, as a contributing travel writer for them, which has been amazing. And then I just got, um, I'm now officially also a contributing travel writer for Forbes too. I saw that. Perfect. Con- but, congratulations. Yes, yeah. Thank you. So it's like amazing to have two different audiences, but I'd always wanted to be a travel writer. I just didn't think that it would happen. So I just, when you took the plunge, when you said, okay, I'm going to step away from this soul-sucking career, and uh, I'm putting words in your mouth, of course, but um, uh, the, the career in advertising, um, when, you, when you abandoned that, how long do you think it 
took you to to feel justified that that was the right move i guess not just financially but uh for lack of a better word spiritually it was officially actually two years ago that i did Mm. that so that's not a not a lot of time that's fairly quick it is i know i'm now recognizing that that is like really quick because i'm not a lot of people who like when I meet people and they're like, oh, you didn't have a media career before that? Because none of my, like, none of my, like, decade of work experience, I definitely didn't say that grammatically correctly. But, yeah, my my previous work experience has not in any way, like, helped. I mean, I guess it's helped, hopefully, my organization and stuff. But, like, it's not like I was able to take my contacts from my past career to this one. So it's sort of really starting from scratch. Um, so I was working on a book I'm still working on. But I'm changing the ending and like I think that for me it was the parents that it was what I had to do from the beginning because I I okay I say this now as I'm like literally having to like file deadlines and like being like why do I do this but like I genuinely really love to write and there wasn't there just wasn't that same life anxiety that I had before when I was working in advertising and I didn't care about what I was doing and because I didn't care about what I was doing, I was never going to be successful. And I envied people who were able to be like, well, you know, I don't love toothpaste, but this is going to give me a good life. For me, for whatever reason, like I've always like intrinsically like tied in my self-worth a little bit with my, with my career, partially because like everyone in my family has like cool jobs or like they're all writers or politicians or something like being a politician is super cool but you know what I mean like they're all passionate and what you do every day like day in and day out like really affects your personality like I've always been really outgoing and I remember like some people are kind of sort of shy by the end of my time like working and advertising I just sort of felt like I was sort of losing myself a little bit because that is 40 hours plus a week and when I was in graduate school I was, I was satisfying that part of me that's really creative and I felt happy. And then when graduate school was over, I was like, oh my God. And I think that for me, it was sort of like, I was, there was just absolutely no way I was going to take a job that was not what I, something I, I loved and wanted to do anymore. And I know that's like sort of a bold thing to even think and do. And I'm happy it worked out. But I think that going to grad school, which like I always recommend to people, that I didn't know for sure what I really want because I thought maybe I wanted to be a professor, what's the point of a master's degree, et cetera. It sort of lets you get that validation that you need from people in the field and just for yourself that you're good at what you you're good at it and you care about it. So I while I was like working with agents, I started freelancing and I because I'd worked as a reporter, I was able to, you know, have my website, like a lot of it too. Like with like you need to like make sure that you know, connect with people on every social media. Like I used to hate to do this, like share your articles everywhere, share your news, sort of promote your stories and your work because people are, that's the way that word will get out that you are whatever you claim to be, which for me at that point, I was a professional writer and I just pitched all the time. And I think the reason people don't stick with it is because pitching is just like, you know, you send out a bunch of, and if you really, if you don't know the editor, it's really a numbers game. Like maybe they're going to want this story on, you know, downloading a budgeting app and what you learned, maybe they won't. But if you send out, like, I don't know, I probably pitched a hundred times. I, I got a couple ones that like really in retrospect, if I was having the day-to-day life now that I had in, you know, I guess I really started doing it 
a year and a half ago in like June of 2017, actually more like September 2017, I would be like pretty discouraged. But then I was just starting out and I was like, oh my God, I'm in the week. You know what I mean? Like the week is, I have two stories in the week and that would keep me going for another month. And then, oh, I got into pop sugar and mm. that would keep me going. And then, you know, I dealt with the bullshit in terms of like, sorry, personally about like people who didn't pay me. Like I, I wrote for a feminist literary journal that like didn't pay me, which was like frustrating. But the one thing I think that stands out and that I tell people, I do think particularly, obviously, probably every aspiring writer believes that they're a secret genius and that, you know, their work is, is don't be a snob about your outlets. Like, particularly with the internet, like, I just got Forbes and I'm psyched about it. And, like, I, I'm also writing, like, um, to touch right now and, like, Art Digest and, like, stuff like that, which is really exciting. But, like, where I got where I am, how I got where I am now it's also like those millennial publications. Like I wrote for Pop Sugar a story on um, the Amal Foundation, which is this um, NGO, sorry, by 20-something, so like help Syrian refugees. Did super well. And another story too on like women who didn't vote for Hillary Clinton, like how there's this epidemic, like, you know, this like guilt that women feel. And like I like interviewed Emily's breast and like retroactions. Basically don't, whatever assignment you're given, work hard at it and write the hell out of it. Because, that's your calling card. You don't know who's going to be reading it. You know what I mean? Don't wait until you have like an assignment in the New Yorker to like give it your best, you know? And right. I think that you can tell the difference between good and bad writing easily. And I find a blogger actually recently said, Oh, I don't think people can tell the difference. I'm like, yes, you can. It's like watching a, it's like watching a movie or listening to a song. Like if you have to, if it's filtered or weird or you're not, you change the channel and same with writing. Like you want to keep the reader there. You want to keep them engaged and people can tell. And like, this past year, like, where I've been, like, traveling the world, you know, like, going around the globe was for, was for Britain Co. and Elise Daly. You know, it wasn't, like, for, like, the new, it wasn't, it wasn't for, like, I don't know. It wasn't for Forbes yet. You know what I right. mean? So, I think that's something that's really important. And I think that also, like, you have to get joy out of the writing itself. Because if you're in it for the money, like, it doesn't really make sense. Like, particularly with travel there are a million people who would die for their job to be to go to Morocco next week, you know, and be able to just like write about it coming out of it. So I think I'm in the second part of my career, which is figuring out sort of how to leverage, you know, the exposure and the opportunities I've had to also have like more lucrative um, writing jobs that are perhaps less, I don't know, that's basically like how you supplement the really exciting stuff with the stuff that pays rent. So I think that's a whole separate that I can't really advise on yet because I'm only on my one year thing. So, so you recommend definitely for the interested travel writer to just get as many clips as possible, not to be so so damn selective, and pitch to high and low and in between and everywhere just to get some exposure, to get some material out there into the world, whatever. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. get your voice out there because I know that other people say you know start a blog. My thing is that I think it is awesome people who've been able to do this, but to, you know, to get readers on your blog is, is tough, mm-hmm. you know, because that requires a whole other thing with like the promotion of, of said blog, et cetera. But if you get a clip in like Elite Daily, it's like 30 million readers. Another thing is that I find that particularly like with the older generation a little bit, it's like with someone's, oh, like, won't take it as seriously. I'm sure it's like Elite Daily. No, like that is sort of like, honestly, a sexist 
viewpoint. Like, just because it's catered towards young women, it's dumb because it's truly, you know, this. Like, I have like unbelievable editors that I work with at the millennial, um, at the millennial, female millennial publications that I write for. You know, that everything is thoroughly fact checked. Everyone is like a great writer. Mm-hmm. It's sort of just like this idea of, you know, don't be pretentious about it. Um, and also, yeah, like give it your all every story that you have because if you want to, particularly if you want to be in the travel industry, if you write a story on Dublin, you know, and someone in Dublin reads that, you know, and they're going to spread it around and then it's going to be, you're going to be on Dublin's radar. Do you know what I mean? Like you want to, you want to write with passion. You want to, you want to make sure that you care. So, I mean, I've been lucky that as a freelance writer, every story I'm writing literally was my idea. You know, like I, is my story that I wanted to write. So have that can communicate itself. If you want to be a travel writer, I'd say get a lot of clips out there. Like, establish yourself as someone who writes frequently and regularly because a lot of travel opportunities aren't going to come your way if you're known as someone who doesn't write that often, you know? So right, right, right. That, and those are the people, if you want to work in travel writing, the, the product is the most important because those are the people who are reading your stories and they're going to send it to their client who's like, I don't know, Iceland air or something. And they're going to be reading your article about, I don't know, hmm, the Blue Lagoon. And if it's well-written and funny and engaging, they're going to want, they're going to want to work with you versus if it's like seven reasons to go and it's lazy, they might not, they might be like, well, you know, I'd rather bring a writer who's going to be able to convey this better. You know, like being over-enthusiastic, being really nice, like particularly in like, I think it's a really relationship-based industry with like writers and editors and you know, travel, like you just, just be a nice person and, you know, that mm. goes a long way. Well, look, uh, we're getting kind of, uh, close here to the end and I don't know, let's, uh, phase this out. Can you just tell us where everyone can find you online? Yes. So, um, you can follow me on Instagram at Catherine Parker Magyar sort of a mouthful but yeah my full name and then um my portfolio is cap is like katherineparkermagyar.com and i have all my articles there too okay well we'll put the uh the links in the show notes to the episode so everybody could can find them there thank you well it's 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 been a pleasure to talk to you thank you for setting aside the time thank you it's so nice having you too hope you enjoyed this episode of All Over the Place. Please consider supporting the show if you find it valuable. You can do this by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app, reviewing it, following me on social media, or by supporting the show directly via Patreon. Links can be found in the show notes and on alloverthepodcast.com. Thanks for your support and farewell. Farewell.